What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me. It was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. I'm gonna, that's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Look, you know, I don't Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And today, Bill, we're going to talk about a guy named Ward Weaver Jr. No, Ward Weaver the third, right? No. Okay, there's three of these guys. I've spent a lot of time in northern Northern California. I'm not talking San Francisco. Northern California, up into southern Oregon. And my God, man, when you get into the marijuana fields, everyone's murdering each other. No one has any teeth. It's, it's crazy. And, and we don't always think of it like that. Uh, so this guy, all right. So first of all, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries. Rate and review the show on uh, iTunes and check out our Patreon feed that is on Patreon at Death Row Diaries, patreon.com slash Death Row Diaries, where you get bonus content. All right, so you know the older Weaver, and his son also became a serial killer. So do you do you know this guy personally, or you've just seen him around? No, I know him personally. This guy was one of my clients on the... IWR, the Inmate Disability Assistant Program Yard, which I was its, um, I guess you want to call me his orderly there. I was the, the program worker. So I know Ward Weaver very well. Actually, I was on yard one with him prior to this. He's been around death row as long as I can remember, at least 35 years. And this guy's a straight up trucker highway killer. He was convicted of killing two people, is that correct? That is correct. He was convicted of killing Barbara Levy Leboy and Robert Radford. Not to be mistaken, Robert Redford. This guy is Robert Radford, and it happened in 1981. It's really strange how this came to people's attention because, you know, basically, Ward Francis Weaver was unheard of prior to this. And, you know, as we start looking into his 
you should look into his history, you kind of start getting a picture of where this guy comes from, what he did, and actually sort of why he did it. So Ward Francis Weaver is the highway killer's son. No. Ward Francis Weaver is the, the, the trucker guy, the, the, the grandfather. He is the elder one. Okay, and his son is named Ward Weaver the Third. That's right. Okay, so where did the elder Weaver? Uh, he is. He's from California. Well, he had a weird situation growing up, right? Yeah, I mean, this is just classic. I mean, you can point fingers and all this stuff put together and say, "Well, it's no wonder this guy turned out the way he did." So let's take it from the beginning. His mother. Who uh, was an abusive, crazy woman uh, by the name of uh, Dorothy? She actually is a prostitute living, working at a kind of a cat house. And Ward Francis Weaver's father is her client. And he sees her, he likes her, and what he does is he kind of takes her on a test drive. He pays her for sex, and he likes her. So he takes her away from the cows and marries her. I mean, get this, right? And of course, they get married. Okay, so she marries this guy and has a son, which is obviously more Francis Weaver. But instead of the father being like the really bad guy, in this guy which he was, by the way, the mother is the crazy cook in this family. She is abusive and since and since Ward Francis Weaver was born, she is sleeping with this kid as a little boy. And she sleeps with him throughout his adolescence. She's sleeping with him when he's 18 years old. She's a controlling mother that doesn't want her son to have sex, to be involved with women. The only woman in her in his life has to be her, the mother. So let's just start with that. So she's a former prostitute, and is she, or is the is she still together with the father? Well, there is back and forth of that. Yes, the father was abusive towards her, but she was still together with him. The son moved the house. It's like this backwoods country type of deal. But it is a fact that she's sleeping with her son, who is 18 years of age, in the same bed. Is she sexually abusing him, or is this just a control thing? It's a control thing. And no one knows if they were having a sexual relationship or not. You know, common sense tells you they probably were. But I can't get, I could not get more Francis Weaver to admit to that. I knew him, I've spoken to him, I've interviewed him, well, without him knowing I was interviewing him. I was just getting under his skin. As I said, I spent 35 years around this guy, talking to him, learning from him, and of course, that gives me time to really interrogate somebody without them knowing that I'm interrogating them. So what was his relationship with his wife? She's sleeping with his son. It's obviously not very typical, and He's out. Is he like a trucker at this point? When well, the, the, the uh, Francis Weaver, which is the grandfather of the other serial killers, is 
really not a trucker yet or anything. He's just a kid. But at about the age of 17, he meets a girl. And her name is Agatha. And, you know, he really, he genuinely likes her. He wants to have a relationship with her. With her. So they, they, they get together. And crazy enough, he moves her into his mother's house. So you can imagine the dynamic there. You have the mother who was possessive of her son, controlling, and now his girlfriend moves into that same house with the rest of the clan. And that just it just goes bad. And Friends of Weaver responds really by being abusive to his girlfriend Agatha, and he goes off to. Uh, you know, they, they don't last very long, but she does have a child by him. She has Ward Weaver the third, and she leaves him at some point because of abuse. He takes his mother over his girlfriend wife, and he goes off to Vietnam, which is <laughs> like pouring alcohol on a fire. You have a guy who's got serious issues already right, because of his dominating mother. He already has a gene, as I will argue in this thing, that there is a gene, there is a tick, a certain uh, wired, uh, how a person's wired, and why they turn out to be serial killers, but they, they put him in Vietnam to become a killer. And that doesn't do him any good. He does one tour over there, and when he comes back, he's totally different from the guy who left. Not that he was normal to deal with, but he's a loner, he's withdrawn, all those classic symptoms of a person who's already beginning to evolve. Well, and also post-traumatic stress disorder probably added fuels the fire. So I'm getting the impression that he almost met the father for a week or two here and there, and he was out of the house. Yeah. Absolutely. So he comes back, and he's had no treatment for an abusive, very weird upbringing. And then, I mean, do you think he had these kind of homicidal tendencies when he went to Vietnam? Did that trigger something in him? Well, what it allowed him to do is to basically experiment. His mother was so domineering, he really had a chance to do much. He gets to Vietnam, he is free to do what he wants to do. And I've spoken directly to him about his experience in Vietnam. And I asked him, well, what, what happened in Vietnam that made you come back? He says, well, really nothing happened, but I got to kill. And I said, well, how did that affect you? His response is, I liked it. And I said, okay, so I guess you liked it, but so let's talk a little bit about how that relates to you associating that with women. And of course, at first he's like, "Well, that that has nothing to do with it. I just, you know, I, I just like I like the feeling, the power it gave me." So it took a while for me to get under his skin. It took decades to really find out more about him. But as he returns from Vietnam, he really can't get a lot of employment, so he becomes a long trucker, a long haul trucker. He begins to haul 18-wheelers. And you can see, like, come on, abusive mother, bad childhood, he's got the gene, uh, killer already, Vietnam, and now he becomes a trucker. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what else to say about this, but 
it's interesting because this whole time that he's now a trucker, he's not living with his wife. He's not living with Ward Weaver the third. He has no relationship with his son whatsoever. A small child does not know his father or what his father's doing. And what his father's doing is he's developing into a very prolific killer. Okay, so this guy has got a kid at home and he's out he's on the road a lot as truckers are. And he did you talk to him about this? When did he turn into when did he turn into a serial killer? Yeah. Well, very interesting. The son is not really at home. The mother has taken the son and left and Ward Weaver's on it uh Ward Francis Weaver, the grandfather, who is Ward Weaver's father, he's on his own. He's a truck driver. And from what he has explained to me, he began killing in the early 1970s. He could not give me a specific date, but it was the early 1970s. And as a long-haul trucker, he spent a lot of time on the road. He found a lot of future acres, and that's how this starts. But we have to fast forward a little bit, Matt, because we have to understand what really happened and how this all came to really fruition until we understand and we know what happened. So here's what happened. Ward Francis Weaver, Jr., who is the grandfather, is on the road near Tehachapi in 1981, where he sees a car that's pulled over and a couple that are on the side of the road and they need assistance. He pulls over his truck and asks if they need his help, which they accept. The young couple are Robert LeVoy and Robert Bradford. Well, Weaver immediately likes the girl. He likes how she looks. He likes everything about her. The problem is the boyfriend's there. So as he's driving from Tehachapi, because they're near to San Francisco, he devises his plan to get rid of the guy. How he does it, he kind of lurches the car forward, the, the truck, and says something. He pulls over on the side of the road and asks the guy to come help him. While they're checking the truck, Weaver pulls out, and I don't know the exact term of what this is called. Here's a bar that truckers use in order to help them uh, almost like tighten the railings of the truck. And it's, it's like a cheater pipe. I think that's what they call it, cheaters pipe. Anyways, it's a long pipe, maybe almost a yard long. It's a thick metal. And what he does, he sneaks up behind the guy, boy, really the kid, and he whacks him over the head and just beats him to death. Right then, well, tries to beat him, he leaves him basically almost dead. And he puts the pipe back into the truck, and he, and he gets back in the truck. The girl asks him, where's uh, Robert? And his response to her is, you're mine now, and he takes off. She does not know that he's beat her boyfriend basically to death, and he drives off with her. I mean, talk about just crazy stuff, right? He just takes her, um, he pulls the truck over, he ties her up, and he repeatedly rapes her. Um, hours later, of course, police find Robert, and he's basically at death's doorstep. They can him to the hospital where he dies. But Ward Weaver, Ward Francis Weaver, is taking the girl now to his home. 
he's going to keep her. This is his whole strategy. I'm keeping her. If you think about that, that's just insane, right? Yeah, I feel so sorry for these people because, I mean, you're out in this, what is amazing, beautiful country, you know, that Lewis and Clark and all these guys saw and were blown away by. If you eliminate the people, it's beautiful, but they're out there and their car breaks down. They have no idea that, I, I mean, to me, when you have no phone, you have no service station, it seems like a trucker is your best bet. It doesn't, I'm trying to put myself in that time and place, and it, I don't think they did anything wrong. They just ran into the wrong guy. Well, that's exactly right. These kids did nothing wrong. What the mistake was is to trust other human beings. And in these dark highways, there are men that murder. And we've talked about this how many times that the highways, you don't have to be a free trucker. There are different ways for these truckers who are really killers and abusers are hunting. And that's exactly what he does. So he takes her, he tries to take her to the house. Um, while they get close to the house, he notices her bindings are, are a little loose. So he pulls over to tie her more securely, decides to rape her again because this is what rapists do. And while this is going on, she fights back. In one circumstance, she actually scratches and bites him. And what we don't understand, what we know later, is that Ward Francis Weaver's mom, the abusive mother, slept in the same bed until he was 18. That's how she punished him. She would bite him and draw blood when he did things that were wrong. That's how she abused him. So this supposedly, according to Ward Weaver, Francis Weaver, he loses his mind because it takes him to a time where he remembers his mother's abusive ways. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. He told me this. I'm listening to him. And I think he's lying. I think this has nothing to do with his mother. And, and again, I'm talking to the guy, and he it's almost like a rehearsed thing for him. He's telling me the story, and he interjects that part that the woman bit him, caught him, and he lost his temper. And that's why he kills her. He actually strangles her to death. Right. I don't believe it. As if he wasn't going to kill her already? Exactly. Well, he, I believe that he, he intended to take her to his house and use her as a sex slave, but he ultimately was going to kill her anyways. Why he killed her then? Maybe she fought back, but he had, and maybe she was fighting back so hard. Would you, wouldn't you fight back if a guy, some creepy truckers trying to rape you? And has just killed your boyfriend or done something to your boyfriend, you know? I think it's his excuse. Because his narrative is, well, at least for me, this is the only people that I have actually ever killed. And this is how he starts his conversations with me about this. It's bullshit. Because, as I said, consistency is a very big thing for me. Liars don't usually remember the lies they've told, but the person that's listening it's me, and he's taking notes in his head and later on writing them all down as I have, I see the inconsistency in why he's trying to change the narrative to kind of draw uh, attention away from his actions. 
So anyways, he strangles her and kills her. But get this, instead of just you know, leaving her where he takes her to his home, the body. He digs up a hole and he buries the body next to him where he lives in his home. So, of course, the police have no idea what's going on. They don't suspect him. No one knows anything about this guy until three months later, he tries it again. Obviously, he enjoyed the couple thing, and he picks up another couple. But this couple were a little bit more aware. Maybe, maybe they they were given some kind of uh, survival thing, but they fight back and they get away from Wood Weaver. And by the way, he's not the most intelligent guy in the world. He's actually a, he's pretty well, he's pretty dumb. He's got a very low IQ. But they get away and they go to the police department and they arrest Ward Francis Weaver for attempted kidnapping, attempted assault, and he goes to jail. So the police have this guy. They have no idea of anything else he's done. But in perfect, dumb fashion, this moron, this moron then tells his celly, and this happens a lot in jails, he's bragging about what he's doing, that this, you know, the, the, the crime he's in prison for or jail for is the only thing he's done. And he tells his celly, about Barbara Lavoy and her boyfriend Robert Radford. That he murdered them, that the bodies at his house. And of course, this inmate goes to the authorities and tells them exactly what this guy's done. And they charge him. So he's charged with double murder and convicted eventually, which is how you eventually encounter him. But am I reading your voice correctly that you don't think those are the only two victims? Oh, I know they're not. And I'll tell you how I know this. This isn't just, you know, Bill Noguera sitting here deciphering the codes of a serial killer. First, he starts off the story with me 35 years ago that thinks there's only two murders. But then upon me reading parts of his case and reading the documents of the Supreme Court when they ruled against him, he had attempted to make a deal with the dean and district attorney in that county. So here was the deal. He went to, when they charged him no homicide and they put the death penalty on the table, of course it scared him. Like, everybody should be scared when the DA says they're going to charge you, give you a death penalty, and you're going to get executed. Remember, the, the death penalty at that time was very young in California, 1981 ish. So people were afraid of it. They thought they were actually getting executed. So Ward Francis Weaver tells the DA, look, if you just take the death penalty off the table and give me life without possibility of parole, and it means that life without the possibility of parole, if he's never going to get out, that he in exchange will give that DA the locations of dozens of bodies that he has put there, that he has killed. Dozens. Not one, two, dozens. And of course, in perfect 
ignorance, moronic style. The DA in that, in that particular county says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to reward the killer by taking the death penalty for some information about other bodies and other cases. Yeah, it was the dumbest rule in the world because he couldn't clear dozens of homicides giving closure to families, but he chose not to become a political gamble. And we all know that Ward Weaver's still alive, and Ward Weaver's, well, Ward Weaver Jr., his grandfather's on death row, but he is never going to get executed because there is no death penalty in California for release. Life or not. Yeah, he got all the lawyers, he got the fame, he got all the stuff. But he's still here. He's doing essentially what he asked to be given if he would clear all these murders up. Now, along the line, of course, he and I would speak more and more, and he began to reveal more about these cases, which was that, in fact, yes, he had murdered dozens of women over the years driving his truck, and he would bury them out in between those long halls of Northern California, in between the Hatchaby, there's thousands of miles of wilderness out there. And as you and I, Mac, have spoken, that's how these serial killers could avoid getting caught as much as disposing of the bodies. So the DA just dismissed this claim, which obviously you got to take seriously. I mean, if you're the families of people that are missing, you don't care if you think you're rewarding the guy or whatever. So he got what he wanted, which at that point was the best outcome, which is life in prison without parole. And But now he has no incentive to really talk about this stuff, so are are you and, and some other guys in prison? Okay, 60 seconds remaining. Are you some of the only people that he's told about this? I mean, since then? Well, we, we know it's true, because there's also a former clockless, uh, I, I don't know, quite mispronouncing that, a clockless county prosecutor. Her name is Janine Robin, and a Portland Tribune reporter who have written a book called Close to Home about this exact situation. And they say that Ward Weaver offered that in exchange for just life without, offered those bodies. And that the prosecutor at that time, uh, who was a guy by the name of Ed Jaggles or Jagels, rejected it. So this is just not me saying it. It's, I have a former prosecutor and the Tribune reporter say exactly this. Yeah, I'm just wondering, though, I guess I'm trying to get a handle on it without having researched it as much as you have. Is he... He's not talking about all these dozen or whatever murders. He's he's not talking to authorities. He's not talking to anyone. He's just he's just talking whenever he feels like it to people he's acquainted with, right? Exactly. I, I make it a point to always open the conversation, try and get people to talk more about this because I'm interested in the subject and I'm interested in possibly bringing some kind of closure here. Uh, he hasn't revealed a whole lot. However, um, it is during this time that he's going through the end of the trial when the prosecutors say, no, I'm not going to take the death off the table, that we have a resurface, uh, Ward Weaver III, his son, resurfaces. All this is going on, it's big news, and Ward Weaver III, the son, sees his 
father on television. Or Francis Weaver, the, the elder one on television, that he's being charged with these murders. So what does he do? That's my dad. I haven't seen him in a long time. He goes to visit his father. In San, in San, is that in San Quentin, or that's before he's he goes to prison? Well, both. While he's in jail awaiting trial, his son goes to visit him. And they talk, they get reacquainted. I mean, I, I guess I can understand, you know, looking for your dad, you find your dad. Bad circumstances, but still his dad. And I don't know what story his dad was telling him, but what we were the third, his son, comes to San Quentin as well when his father gets here, and he visits him more. They talk, they get reacquainted. Um, it's, it's really not a homecoming of sorts, but it's, 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 it's really a bad situation because Warwick III, prior to him seeing his father, was already a very violent guy, very explosive. Um, weekend, you know, his mother did remarry another person after she left Ward Francis Weaver Jr. And I know this is very confusing, but, um, you know, she, she marries this guy, and the guy is not a nice guy. He's very abusive to the kids. Uh, she, the guy, sexually molests Ward Weaver III. So again, you have this, this pent-up anger in this kid is growing. He doesn't know who his father is, except the guy who's really his stepfather, and that guy's very abusive to him. But as it turns out, you know, this guy, Ward Weaver III, he's had a bad, bad upbringing. He, he joins the Navy. He's honorably discharged because he's a drunk. Um, he ends up marrying a woman that he met while in the Navy at a tea bar named Maria. And it's just bad. Poverty, they move in with neighbors, and this is what things take a really big turn for Ward Weaver III. And this is, again, has nothing to do with his, his father. But he gets drunk and he asks these two neighbor girls to come pick him up. When they do, to kind of make you fun of him because he's been drinking. And he responds by assaulting the girls who are very young. He tries to choke one of them. And he's arrested. He's given three years. And his wife Maria leaves him. However, in all this stuff, she stays with him while he's in jail. And they have a, a number of kids together. And the problem starts when he gets out of prison. And the grandfather, the father's here in San Quentin Prison. Ward Weaver III is living his normal life out there, and it seems to everyone that he's changed. He's no longer an explosive guy. He tries to get the father. His daughter, Mallory, is extremely close to him. And that's where he's leading down this bad path where we're going to get to right now. So on the timeline here, because uh, I'm, I'm just a little confused and, and interested in this, when, how old is he when he starts visiting his father, and is it before or after he's gone to jail? It's before. Okay. It's before he goes to jail, and it's like all of a sudden, maybe, you know, maybe it's his father, the influence. Maybe his father's talking to him. No one really knows that. 
but I mean, it's almost genetic that these two, that these two are extremely violent. And there is, there is no connection to them except for genetic connection that he's his father. And you can always attribute that to some of his childhood. You know, a lot of people have rough childhoods. They don't respond with murder and mayhem and the same type of murder. But what we see in Warden the Third is a propensity to be violent towards women. And we see it happen once he, once he gets out of jail. He, he supposedly changes his life around because prior he's very violent. He assaults his wife many times, and she has several of his kids already. So when he gets out, he changes, supposedly. So by the age that his daughter Mallory is 12 years old, he's supposed to be a good guy. Most of the kids come to their house to spend the night. Uh, some of the girls like the father. He's really nice, very cool guy. But there's a darker side to him that no one has seen, and it seems to come out when he's around these younger girls. And what happens is that Mallory, his daughter, moves in with her father. And, of course, being a very young girl, she has friends that wants to be over and stuff. And in one instance, a, a young girl by the name of Ashley Pond uh, and Miranda Gaddis are very good friends with Mallory's daughter. And in one instance, they go on a trip together, meeting his daughter and the young girl, Ashley Pond. It turns out that during that trip, the young girl comes back very standoffish. She's very afraid. Um, she's skittish. And she confides in her mother that Ward Weaver III has molested her. And nothing comes of it. She goes to police. It doesn't really work. Both the girls, uh, Ashley Pong and Miranda Gladys, have been abused by their stepfathers, abused by family members, sexually abused. So it's, it's a real big puddle there of what's going on, but the police don't charge these guys. And it looks like that is almost like a, 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 a splash of cold water in his face. And he's realizing, I can do what I want to do. And he, and he does exactly that. So on January the 3rd, on January the 3rd, and I believe I have these dates correct, um, Ashley Pond disappears. She is um, waiting for the bus, and she never makes it to school. The house directly behind the bus stop is Ward Weaver's third home. And the big, you know, manhunt, they bring dogs, they bring all these people in trying to find the child. They interview Ward Weaver third. He goes on Good Morning America. He only shows it to certain parents. Um, he begins to then get paranoid. And he starts telling the news, well, they're always looking at me because my father's a serial killer. That was a big mistake. The family, now they connect the dots. His father's a serial killer, killed women. Now the son is suspected in possibly the disappearance of a young child. 
And when all the attention is to him, this guy can't help himself. He does it again. Miranda Gaddis disappears two months later. Same bus stop. She's on the way to school, and she disappears. And no one seems to know what's going on. They got the FBI. They have authorities from around the nation putting up $50,000 for information. He again goes on these programs. He's soaking in the, in the limelight all this stuff. Right. And it just gets worse from there. Yeah, so he had initially contacted the media, and he's giving these interviews with them. Do you think that's how he initially caught the ear of law enforcement? Because they're just like, what is this guy's deal? Um, I mean, would he have gotten away with it if he hadn't inserted himself into this? Because the bodies were right by his apartment, but he he also he didn't get arrested for the the two girls uh, for quite some time. He did not get arrested, and it really was his own mouth that got, just like his father, his mouth got him really basically convicted. It got him arrested. It got him, for the police to look at him, because as soon as he mentions that his father's a serial killer, they look into his background, and boom, there it is. They see that he's been accused, never charged, with sexual assault. He's been uh, charged with sexual battery. He has all these little convictions along the way that kind of give a roadmap to a person who is a sexual deviant. And then comes the accusation from the mother of one of the children that are missing. And she says, my daughter told me that Woodley the third raped her. You know, and of course, he, he tells with both the mother never loved her. She said that there's a reason why, because one of those girls was staying in his house for a number of months. And his response is that mother's abusive. They came for me to help. And yes, that young lady had bad habits. And so she got into a pickle. She usually accused people of doing things to her to get attention. And they believed him. That's the crazy part. They believed him until... He goes on national TV and starts this kind of cry that he's being targeted. These are the reasons they're targeting me. And that it's basically a witch hunt. And he has nothing to do with it. But, as I said, he can't help himself. It's a, it's a tick inside these serial killers and rapists. They cannot stop. It's like a person who drinks alcohol. They know it's bad for them. They know you shouldn't do it. But that drink, they've got to take it. So what does Weaver do? He then tries to rape his sons, who is Francis Weaver. This is the, the grandson now. His girlfriend is living at Ward Weaver III's house, and he tries to rape her. When the when his son, the, the, this is confusing for me too, the grandson hears about this, he then goes to the authorities, and he tells them, that his father has confessed to the two murders of the two girls, and that the girls are buried at the house. And that's where the case unravels. They arrest him, they bring in special teams, and sure enough, they find the bodies of Ashley and, um, well, her best friend, Miranda, at the Weaver residence. They're buried under a slab of um, cement in a barrel, and the other one's under the shed. 
So Ward Weaver the Third was he a single father when this went down? He, he was, yes. So he was. I couldn't get all the information, but in a little, you know, Inside Edition thing I watched, it was like he was kind of the cool dad. He gave the kids rides a lot, kind of the softball coach, um, you know, just the cool, the cool younger party dad, right? That was kind of friends with all the all the neighborhood kids type of guy. Is that what he was? That's exactly what he was. So this guy, Ward Weaver III, this was in Oregon City, terrible place, by the way, uh, where he was living, in, and he is obviously a terrible guy. He killed these girls, he buried them in his yard, but it's even worse than that afterwards. He is, is taunting families of the victims. He, he's this really arrogant guy. He's trying to come off as intimidating in court, which I would argue is not even hard to do because everyone knows you're already a murderer, so it's like if you sneer a couple times, it is quite menacing, I'm not going to lie, but anyway, he, he's just a dick, and uh, and and he sucks, and he, he's never admitted what he did, and it's like, whatever. You killed a couple kids, and I'm wondering if the father ever mentioned his son. Yes. Older one, on death row. I specifically had a conversation with him regarding his son, Ward Cleaver III, and the allegations that he murdered both of those kids and was a serial rapist. And I asked him specifically because I wanted to know do you think it's something genetic? And it's really funny because when I asked him that question, he never expected me to hit him with that question. And he was staying there. And right next to him was Bill Suff. Who was Bill Suff, the audience asked? Bill Suff is the Chili King, the Riverside Killer. They call him the Chili King because the victims that he killed, he used the meat to make chilies. He was an award-winning chili maker. So to give you kind of a, a picture of who was around him, the award weaver, Francis Weaver, looked at me and said, well, you know, the apple never falls far from the tree. And I said, well, you think your son got that from you? He goes, well, you got to get it from somewhere. That was his response. Now, how much is that really true? How much was he playing with? How much was he getting a chuckle from it? He did say exactly that, that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And it just, it caught me by surprise because I looked at him and he kind of had a smile on his face and he just said, you know, I didn't, I didn't raise my son. His mother did. And he left it at that. So, you know, there is that whole thing. Look, this guy killed girls. He raped girls. His father's a rapist. He's a rapist. He buries them close to him. His father did the same thing. Look, I believe in evolution. I believe in all these things that when you breed animals, you, you, you breed dogs that are violent and aggressive and usually the, the, the puppies are aggressive and if you breed docile animals the offspring are docile in this case i believe that the genetic tree played a part in this and as i've said before in the past serial killers are born they're not made 
yes, certain things make them uh, appear quicker than other times, but it's in that they do this. It's their response, why they respond the way they do. They rape, they kill. It's a response to who they are. Now, with these guys, you can see the similarities. And then, of course, the media made a very big thing about, well, his grandson, meaning Ward Francis, we were the one on death row in San Quentin, and his grandson also, who, by the way, told on his father, and to the good thing, his father confessed to his murders, that's why they arrested Ward the third. but Francis himself is a murderer. He, although a snitch, when he was a very small ch uh, child, he shot into a car of peace, uh, hitting one of his friends, and they charged him with aggravated assault and arrested for manufacturing drugs. He then, was, when he got out, he was charged with robbery, burglary, holding a person hostage for money. In uh, February the 14th, 2014, Francis Weaver, the grandson, and three other people are charged with murder uh, and received life without the possibility of parole in prison. So Francis, the grandson, is also charged with murder. He is in prison, but recently a court reversed that conviction because his co-defendant was given a deal that they didn't make public, and he received benefits. So basically, he's crying about that someone got a, a plea bargain that they didn't make noted to the court or to the defense team so they could really exploit that during the trial meeting. Well, you do this for a reason. You're testifying because the prosecution gave you a deal. They couldn't ask that question. The court found that to be a reversible error, so he had to go through another trial. But look, we have three generations here, grandfather, father, and son, that are murderers, but there's still another twist to the statement, and I'm sure you know what it is. You want to tell us what the twist is? Well, it turns out Francis Weaver... It's not actually Ward Weaver, the third son, right? Right. His wife cheated on him. <laughs> right, right. But Francis Weaver, huh. So I wonder if he would have turned into a serial killer. Because what he did was him and his buddies, you know, the classic thing is they're doing a drug deal. They're trying to buy 15 pounds of pot. And I think they killed the guy that had the drugs. And they keep the money and the drugs, and usually get caught doing that. But it sounds like he was actually a pretty scary guy himself, apart from just the drug dealing killing. Like he was, I think he was like worse than your average drug dealer, drug deal gone bad, uh, conspiracy type guy. He's like a total more of a creep than that, right? Yeah, he's a bad guy. Look, there's no doubt that this guy's a murderer, he's a bad guy, he's a criminal. But let's look at the real difference here. That can be attributed to bad upbringing. Your dad's, you know, your your, your stepdad, this guy's gave very bad uh, examples of how he is. He sees that his, grand, his grandfather and his dad are both killers. So that could influence him to be, well, a person who can kill for gain. A different type of killer, but it's not genetic. But let's look at the generation of Ward Weaver third in fact, Ward Weaver's son, biological son, and we can see the similarity. They don't kill because for money, like the grandson did, and he has he has no genetic tie to them. So he had bad influences. Yeah, I can see him killing for money. It's it's looked upon differently, but the tick that 
serial killer genes that, that you're born with, you can see them in Ward, for instance, Weaver Jr., the grandfather, and Ward Weaver the third, the son, because they're not killing for money, they're killing for that gratification. The son kills his two, his two kids, buries them out of his house. Someone normal doesn't do that. Now, I can see where he, and I, I want people to confuse normal with a person who kills for gain or does something for gain. You can see the reasoning behind it. It's not a psychological thing. It's a gain thing. Look, I want that candy bar, so I stole it. Where the first two weavers are psychologically, sexually motivated. It's a different thing. Do you kind of see what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the grandson is more of just a uh, typical criminal. Yeah, he's a bad guy. So, I guess we kind of buried the lead a little bit. So, they find out that Francis Weaver, who is Ward Weaver III's son, that Ward Weaver III raised as a son, that he is not his biological son when Francis Weaver is investigated for this murder. They do a DNA test, right? And they find out that they're not really. Exactly. I have a shock to, to Ward Weaver III. Gee, honey... Are you gonna tell me something? Well, the son, so so the grandfather and Ward Weaver the third, they look like carbon copies of one another. They look exactly the same, pretty distinct look. They look very similar. The grandson Francis Weaver looks kind of like a minority, or you know, he's he's just a a darker, dark-skinned person, and his facial features look nothing like that. I mean, it's a situation where. Friends would maybe make jokes like, hey, was there a mailman involved? It just doesn't look like his son. Correct. Well, he's also married to a, uh, I believe, Polynesian woman uh, from the Philippines. So, um, I don't know. You know not incorrect. Philippines is not the point. Anyways, she's Philippine. And, of course, she, she looks like the mother. So, uh, people could always say, well, you know, I mean, maybe he doesn't look like the father, but no one's questioning at the time. But DNA makes it obvious that the mother was not true to war with her. And there's a good reason. You've got a freaking murderer, killer, serial killer, rapist, child molester. That's what he was, a child molester. And war with we were friends of we were the grandfather murdered grown people, women. But we have a um, we have War with the third you just gotta wonder when Ward Weaver III was meeting with his father and striking up this relationship it's so weird because it almost seems like one of those serial killer groupie type of relationships except it's also his son like you gotta wonder what were they talking about were they talking about the weather and gas prices or were they talking about gruesome details of murder and in that lifestyle, right? Don't you have to wonder that? Well, exactly. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You're right on the same trail that I'm on. What happened during those conversations? Was it a, a son looking for his dad? A dad? I mean, look, why did you stay with me? Those kind of conversations. I mean, I, I need you, dad, or whatever. Or was it, <laughs> hey, dad, I told you, I see you killed them people. And, uh, man, I've been kind of a, uh, you know, hankering for some uh, young meat, man. Uh, 
okay, what kind of uh, details can you give me? They, I don't know. It's just, it, you, you wonder about that. Or was the conversation very serious? Like, you know, how did you not get caught? Why did you bury him close to your home? Uh, look, I'm having these feelings. Um, you know, what can I do about them? What do you think? You have to understand that that possibly could be what was happening there. And we have talked about this, and we've talked about on the show that I've said that serial killers have other budding serial killers that come see them, and they talk specifically about the crimes, how they got caught, what not to do to get caught. All these things are part of the conversation, and here we have proof of it. You have the son of a serial killer coming to see his father who he never really met before, and he turns out to be a fake of a serial killer since he kills children. And you have to wonder, was it that type of relationship where he was already a buddy serial killer, he knew who he was, and he went to the only other serial killer he knew, who was his father, and they had that conversation. Yeah, but your instinct also, as a normal person, is to think, well, you would think that the father said, would say, don't be like me, make something in your life. Not whatever you do, don't end up in prison. Let me tell you why I was wrong to do these things. I've learned from my mistakes. Praise Jesus, Christ is risen, whatever it is. But then, you know, you got to think, well, this guy's also a total psychopathic scumbag. So why would he do something reasonable or uh, responsible, right? Well, that's exactly right. The normal person was to look, son, like you said, don't do these things in X, Y, and Z. Like, we're not talking about two normal people. We're talking about two sexual deviants. You're talking about two rapist, murderers, serial killers who he's only trying to advance his... Well, let me get you this scenario. When Ward Weaver III killed his, those girls, maybe he calls his, his father calls him, like I call you. What's going on? How is how is it going? Let me hear them. I mean, right? Right. It doesn't really. That's not too far fetched, is it? Not at all. It, right. it could so have been an inside an inside thing, a bond they had between father and son. You know, this was their baseball. That's exactly right. They call it. Yeah, I would kind of lean towards. It was that, you know, because why? Why would if, if it, it, why would you keep visiting the guy? I mean, I know he's your father, but it, it seems like. I mean, did you ever see Ward Weaver the Third visiting his father? It, it just seems like he was too excited to, you know, more so than just oh, I I, I know he's my father. He's a bad guy. I'm obligated to go see him because he's going to die. I get that, but it seems like he was more psyched about it. You know what I mean? Well, of course. I never saw them together. I didn't pay attention to them. That time I probably wasn't paying attention to the zero films and watching them. I should have, but I didn't. Uh, however, uh, we know that that conversation wasn't like that. We know it had to do with the crime because of what happened later in Ward Weaver the third life, which is he turns into the same type of guy. Um, and it's not by chance, it's made by design because they, they spoke. My bet is that they spoke about it and they kind of had their moments of some type of gratification by speaking about it. I mean, he found the perfect guy to share with. 
as I've mentioned before, a lot of serial killers like to share with other serial killers. We've seen it with, with Bittaker and Norris. They shared in prison. They became the toolbox killers. Uh, we've seen it happening in other instances. What better way to share what you do than with your own son, who's also a serial killer? That's insane, but it's absolutely very feasible. And it actually a good chance exactly what happened. Yeah. So do you know if Francis Weaver, the grandson, does he have a kid? You know, I don't know that. Uh, I, I only, you know, I only got the information from uh, regarding the Francis, because my attorney sent me the thing. I, I looked at everything. I don't know Francis, the, the grandson. I only know the grandfather, who is, I guess, the head of the jury, right? Right. I'm betting he does, just because that's what people do in those areas. and. I'm betting we're going to hear about the son, the great grandson of the guy that killed. Well, I think it depends on whether he's influenced by his father. We know there's no connection genetically to the two first years, so it'd be interesting to see. But look, this is a weird case, and I said we need the background music. Man, you should put the, the deliverance music in the background, <laughs> you know, because this is some way out stuff. You know, this is oh my god. Yeah, well, that's what you're going to get out there, is people doing meth and talking about various conspiracies about how the government has designed insects to spy on them, and, um, you know, just a lot of weird anti-government stuff, and, like, living with your neighbors. Yeah, to me, that sounds weird. I think that's actually pretty common for a lot of these people. Yeah, I'll just move into my neighbor's house. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> Can I follow up on something real quick? Who's the guy that that uh, put human remains in the chili? What was his name? Oh, Bill Suff. He is known as the Riverside Killer or the Chili King. Um, and he is Ward Weaver's little buddy. They hang out together and they compare notes. I, like I said, I've watched them. I've listened to them. And even more so, Bill Suff, he, he fancies himself an editor. And Ward Weaver... The Ward Francis, maybe the grandfather, fancies himself some type of an author. And they have this little working relationship, and they're often comparing photographs of victims. And, and look, Bill Self, he has some of the neighborhood 20 some victims that they know of. And he's not a chewing king because he's kind of a little, kind of a little police guy. He liked to go to the police station and volunteer time and, and all this stuff. And he would go to these cookouts. And he was. That's really good at making chili. What the detectives that were investigating the Riverside killing didn't know was that the victims they were looking for were in the chili that they were eating and giving him prizes for. So, yeah, that's a whole different story right there, buddy. So that was my question, yeah. Was the award-winning chili specifically the human chili? According to everything that he told me, with a giggle, yes. Exactly, that was the hidden ingredients, human remains. My goodness. Well, yes. this is a super depressing story because it's spanning these generations. And, uh, God, you know, it just keeps going. And, and you notice, I mean, that's why people are so fucked up. You know, it's like there's just this lineage. And I'm sure it went on before uh, the Elder Weaver and, you know, 
maybe it stopped with Francis, who knows, but uh, I'm glad to get the inside story from you as always, so I guess we'll leave it there until next time. Yeah, one thing we should close on is that, you know, you and I joke around about the things things about the characters and how you know, deliverance and all this stuff, you know, we're their cousins and all the first time, but we never, and, and, and I both talk about this all the time, we never forget the victims, and, and obviously in these, all these cases, there's someone who's lost their mind, there are dozens of girls, some are you that the grandfather never revealed because some prosecutor didn't want to get that shot. Um, so we never forget the victims here. We never uh, just concentrate on the killer themselves. They're not the star of the show. Uh, they, we're bringing this information because we want you to know, want to get an inside of you, of what these guys say, what they think, and really to bring awareness to the public so that they don't get into a truck in a boondock somewhere and that they don't do some of the things that they that can get them in a position. So, yeah, in closing, this show is also about, you know, the tragedy that's happened, which is the victims, and we never are joking about that, because obviously something lost in front of Absolutely, yeah. and thanks for reiterating that, sometimes I forget the Yeah, we're not making life of it. Uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm Lou Nadira. Be safe, be aware of your surroundings, your life can depend on it.